Hello, and welcome to Teacher in Zion Podcast, a podcast for Christians, Mormons, ex-Mormons, and other Book of Mormon believers, or anyone questioning their faith or the church, with an emphasis on seeking the truth wherever it leads, but especially in gaining a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I am your host, Teacher in Zion, and this is episode 7 of the podcast, entitled Nobody Knows What's in the Book of Mormon. And we'll go ahead and call this Part 1, because this is far too big of a topic to cover in just one podcast. So we may come back and revisit this topic from time to time. While it's not entirely a true statement that nobody knows what's in the Book of Mormon, it nevertheless captures the essence of a widespread problem. Not only do non-Mormons not have a clue what is actually in the Book of Mormon, imagine it to contain doctrines on plural marriage or Adam-God theory and various temple ordinances. You know, all the things people tend to associate with Mormonism. But it isn't just people who have never really touched or read the Book of Mormon. But I have found that, by and large, most Mormons don't really know what is in their Book of Mormon either. And I'm talking about LDS, fringe breakaway Mormon groups, and even RLDS or Community of Christ. I make this statement based on the many hundreds, perhaps thousands of conversations I've had with people who claim to believe in the Book of Mormon. Not only that, but I also base my comment on the various doctrines or teachings found in those churches. A number of times in the past when speaking to Christians who objected to the Book of Mormon, basically because of how it is associated with, well, Mormonism, I have been known to make the statement that the Book of Mormon is the most compelling anti-Mormon book they could possibly read. And I say this because not only does the book not really support the more common things people associate with Mormonism, but it is also one of the strongest witnesses against a number of doctrines associated with the church. And if that is news to you, stick around and subscribe to this podcast. It's something we will be exploring in much more detail. For today, we'll narrow down the topic to the person of Jesus Christ and who the Book of Mormon teaches he is versus what we can ascertain from church doctrine. About two years ago, I was dead asleep around 3 a.m. at night. I was expecting a pair of Mormon missionaries the next morning, and suddenly I awoke and I heard the Spirit of the Lord say to me, ask them who they believe Christ to be. Typically, these kinds of encounters I've had with the Lord, it isn't just the words I receive, but an understanding of the depth of his intention. I understood that it wasn't just about being the Savior, but from the deepest level, who is he? Where did he come from? The next day, I told them the Holy Spirit had given me a question to ask them. They were curious, and when they tried to answer, They came up with, he's the Savior, he died for our sins, and he's the Son of God. Pretty standard stuff. I told them that they had mostly described what he does, but who is he? 
what does it mean that he is the son of God? And where did he come from? Both seemed uncertain. And then I picked up my Book of Mormon and I began to read to them who he truly was and where he came from according to that book. I wondered how those verses of scriptures would sit with the doctrine of the exaltation of man, basically the means by which Mormons in good standing can become gods over their own world someday. I never did get a clear answer on who Jesus really was in the greater scheme of Mormon doctrine, so I recently went online to a discussion group where people affiliated with Mormonism in some way, many of them being persons who had left the church, felt at liberty to speak freely about the beliefs of the LDS. And so I asked the same question. I got numerous replies. Most of them seemed to be in agreement. But one person's explanation in particular, a man named Chris, who had once been a longtime member of the church, seemed to state it the clearest. He replied, I think most Mormons will claim ignorance on these points to outsiders or investigators, but what most of them actually believe is that Jesus is the oldest spirit son of the god Elohim and his unnamed wife, or one of his wives if he's a polygamist. The rest of us are also spirit children of Elohim, making Jesus our spirit brother or half-brother. He volunteered to be the Savior as an alternative to his younger brother Lucifer's plan for universal salvation. In Old Testament times, he was Jehovah, still as a spirit. And then he got his body when he became the physical child of Elohim and Mary. Now, whether or not every Mormon would agree with every aspect of his statement, it did seem to capture the gist of what everyone else shared with me. So to capture the most salient points of Mormon doctrine here regarding who Jesus is in the larger scheme of things, God the Father was once a man who was exalted into Godhood. He and his wife, who was also once human, procreated to give birth to spirit children. We are those spirit children, and Jesus is also one of those spirit children, a favored son, if you will, but he is essentially the same in every way to Satan and the rest of us, except that he happened to be chosen by God to be the Savior. Therefore, Jesus himself is a created being, and he is a being who has a beginning. Likewise, God, his Father, also had a beginning, having been created at some point by some other God. This is critical information for us to understand so that we can contrast this doctrine with what the Book of Mormon teaches. So what does the Book of Mormon teach about who Christ is? Let me begin with what is referred to as the title page of the Book of Mormon. This is where I began when I discussed this topic with the Mormon missionaries. It is understood that this particular page was written by Moroni, who was once a righteous man who had watched the demise of his people. He was the final chronicler of their history, and he wrote this by way of introduction to the record, stating basically the purpose of its existence. Without reading all of it, I will jump down near the end, and I quote, To show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, and that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are not cast off forever. 
and also to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. End quote. So one of the purposes of the Book of Mormon is to convince people that Jesus is not only the Christ, or in other words, the Messiah or Savior, but the, he is also the eternal God. So he is God with a big G, and eternal means that he is beyond the defined limits of time, having no beginning or end. He simply is. I am. At this point, I would launch into the Old Testament portion of the Book of Mormon and see the prophecies and testimony of prophets regarding Christ. Beginning in 1 Nephi, we have Nephi testifying that the way is prepared by God for all men to repent and come unto Christ, and then declares the vision of the Son of God being born of a virgin, saying, Behold the Lamb of God, yea, even the Eternal Father. End quote. Interesting here that he calls the Son of God the Eternal Father. In John 14, 7, Jesus tells his disciples, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. End quote. Further on, Nephi declares, Yea, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and the God of Jacob yieldeth himself according to the words of the angel as a man into the hands of wicked men to be lifted up and to be crucified. End quote. Here we see once again the strongly worded depiction of Christ as being God, even the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, as a man, is handed over to wicked men to be crucified. In the Bible, John chapter 1, he declares, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God and that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. End quote. So, Christ is not only our Savior, but our Creator. That makes him our God, does it not? And Second Nephi, it goes on to explain, For there is a God, and he hath created all things, both the heavens and the earth, and all things that are in them. End quote. Now, I'd like to take a moment here and break from this particular topic just to share something that Second Nephi prophesies regarding the Bible and the Book of Mormon. It reads, Wherefore, the fruit of thy loins shall write, and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write, and that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins, and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah shall grow together, unto the confounding of false doctrines and laying down contentions and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins. This is one of the declared purposes of God in bringing forth the Book of Mormon, that when used properly side by side with the Bible, it is intended to help confound false doctrines. 
ironic that I am now using the Book of Mormon for that express purpose of confounding the false doctrine that Jesus is a created being, essentially no different than the rest of us, just another spirit brother birthed by Heavenly Father and Mother who were themselves just human at one point, making for an endless concourse of gods, each reigning over their own world or worlds. But in Isaiah 44.5, God declares, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. And he adds in Isaiah 44.8, saying, Is there any God besides me? I know of none. Now, reason with me for a moment. If God were simply an exalted man, who must have understood the doctrine of exaltation, as he would have had to in order to live up to it, then he would have known that there are indeed other gods, making him, therefore, a liar when he says, I know of none. If God is a liar, then he isn't God. So I think we can safely assume he speaks the truth here. There is but one God, eternal, who has no beginning or end. His path is one eternal round. Nephi, in the Book of Mormon, goes on to testify of what the angel told him about the coming Messiah, saying, and I quote, And he also has shown unto me that the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, should manifest himself unto them in the flesh, and after he should manifest himself, they should scourge and crucify him according to the words of the angel who spake it unto me. And there is none other nation on earth that would crucify their God. For should the mighty miracles be wrought among other nations, they would repent and know that he is their God. But because of priestcrafts and iniquities, they at Jerusalem will stiffen their necks against him that he be crucified. End quote. And then finally, in an even more powerful witness, the prophet Abinadi in the book of Mosiah, within the pages of the Book of Mormon, testifies to the truth of who Christ is to the point that he is murdered for it. According to his testimony, and I'll quote here, And were it not for the atonement which God himself shall make for the sins and iniquities of his people, that they must unavoidably perish. And then speaking of the prophets that had come before him, Abinadi tells them, had they not said that God himself should come down among the children of men and take upon him the form of a man and go forth in mighty power upon the face of the earth? Yea, and have they not said also that he should bring to pass the resurrection of the dead and that he himself should be oppressed and afflicted? End quote. Abinadi then goes on to quote Isaiah regarding the coming Messiah and then finally goes on to make the clearest declaration possible regarding who this Christ truly is. Now, I want you to take a moment and be prepared to listen carefully to this. This is the testimony which Abinadi gives regarding Christ that caused his death. He sealed this testimony in his own blood, being put to death for these words. And I quote, And now Abinadi said unto them, I would that you should understand that God himself should come down among the children of men and shall redeem his people. And because he dwells in flesh, he shall be called the Son of God. And having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son, 
the Father because he was conceived by the power of God, and the Son because of the flesh, thus becoming the Father and Son. And they are one God, yea, the very eternal Father of heaven and of earth. And thus the flesh becomes a subject to the Spirit, or the Son to the Father, being one God, suffers temptation, but yields not to that temptation, suffering himself to be mocked and scourged and cast out and disowned by his people. And after all this, and after working many mighty miracles among the children of men, he shall be led, yea, even as Isaiah said, as a sheep before the shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Yea, even so shall he be led, crucified and slain, the flesh being subject even unto death, the will of the Son being swallowed up in the will of the Father. And thus God breaketh the bands of death, having gained the victory over death, giving the Son power to make intercession for the children of men, having ascended into heaven, having the bowels of mercy, being filled with compassion toward the children of men, standing betwixt them and justice, having broken the bands of death, taken upon himself their iniquity and their transgression, having redeemed them and satisfied the demands of justice. In conclusion, the Book of Mormon, which God brought forth to be translated for our benefit, to make plain the truth and confound false doctrine, bears witness to the world that Jesus is the Christ, our Creator, even the very eternal God. When Jesus later visits the Nephites after his resurrection, he declares to them that he is the God of Israel, and it was he that delivered them from Egypt, and he that gave them the law of Moses. But now he declares to them their liberty from the law, which was designed to reveal sin and cause us to realize that we could never live up to that degree of righteousness by our own efforts. The law, therefore, pointed to the need for a Redeemer and someone who could live up to the high standard we could not, that he could forever be that righteous sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And this Savior, who bore the brunt of our wickedness, he is none other than God himself. So he is not just another created spirit child, one of many billions, but instead he is the very manifestation of God, the one and only God, who revealed himself in a body of flesh, come down to redeem his people. And after speaking with great plainness, sharing with the Nephites his gospel and his doctrine, which is, by the way, in complete agreement and in full harmony with the New Testament of the Bible. Jesus concludes in the Book of Mormon saying, And whoso shall declare more or less than this, and establish it for my doctrine, the same cometh of evil, and is not built upon my rock, but he buildeth upon a sandy foundation. And the gates of hell standeth open to receive such, when the floods come and the winds beat upon them. End quote. What does this say, then, about the temple ordinances? Baptism for the dead, doctrines of polygamy or celestial marriage, or the exaltation of men to become gods? All of these things are purported to be the doctrine of Christ by the church, are they not? 
If it isn't taught that these things come by the word of God, who is Christ, then who do they belong to? How is it that the very book that is most associated with Mormonism declares against many of its teachings? Today we focused on just one of the teachings of the Book of Mormon, which stands in contrast to the doctrines of the Mormon Church. Not the LDS only, but other churches that say or claim that they believe in the Book of Mormon. And yet they either do not comprehend or have chosen not to believe what this record says about who Christ really is, deciding instead to cling to the wisdom, doctrines, and the traditions of men. In the future, we will likely cover other doctrines as part of this series, because I think it's not only important for other Christians to understand what the Book of Mormon really does or does not teach, but ironically, I believe Mormons need to themselves reconsider the words contained in their own book. You know, at one time, the Roman Catholic Church was the sole representative of Christianity on earth, and the Bible was their book as well even as the Book of Mormon supposedly belongs to Mormons. But the Dark Ages church doctrines and ways had long departed from the truth revealed in that book, the Bible. What if God takes that book and gives it to others instead? Even as God took the Bible and put it in the hands of the Protestants, what if like the Baptist minister I know, who now declares the Book of Mormon to be of God, or the Pentecostal preacher who now declares the truth of the Book of Mormon as well. What if, like the trumpet being removed from the statue of Moroni atop the temple in Salt Lake City by earthquake, God takes the commission he originally gave the Mormon people and gives it to another people instead? Something to consider, is it not? And if I haven't entirely offended you yet, I hope you will join us for our next podcast episode. If you have questions or would like to share something, or even possibly appear as a guest on our podcast, feel free to email me at teacherinzion, all one word, at gmail.com. Until next time, God bless. Join us for discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hope of Zion or at our YouTube channel, Teacher in Zion. That's the word teacher, space, and in Zion spelled as one word. My books can be found at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Douglas Hatton. That's H-A-T, like a hat on your head. T-E-N, like the number 10. Until next time.